0: Tony turn away from the light, Tony. There you are. There it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Entertaining the Idea Season 3, episode number 2. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Where are you? It is episode well, number 4. We
1: already got 3 in the books, uh, baby. <laughs>
0: I'm still back in April. All right, let's try that one again.
1: That that's COVID brain baby.
0: (laughs) And then the whole time I'm thinking four, 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 two, four, four. (laughs) All right, start that one over again. Do it. Hello, and welcome to Entertaining the Idea, season three, episode number four. This is the podcast where we discuss the creative process from the perspectives of both generating and consuming content. I am one half of your co-hosting team, J Mac, and I'm joined by my partner, the HUDster. Hey man, it's Anthony Hudex. Anthony? Or the HUDster. the hudster the hooster you know whatever way i'm feeling like i said I'll, I'll butcher everything i know even nicknames i'll butcher man i'm telling you i'm just awful with names i love it i love it though and i love JMac. I like
1: JMac is like the coolest thing i want you to dj my
0: wedding you know just you know it's just one of those ones that's thick and i actually i like it so you know i roll yeah, with it you know good Outside of J-Mac, people might know me as John McStravick, but nobody knows me by that. They all know me by J-Mac, so just roll with that. Yeah, man. All right, Tony, so we're at it again. Uh, continue along, moving along. Uh, everything is going well for you, I assume? Yeah, everything's going great. How's that short we're- haircut?
1: I, I'm i missing my long locks. I was at a party the other day. Now that everything is starting to open up and we, are, we have a COVID pod, um, we... Got all together, we were having a pool party, and people got on to 90s music, and we were just playing some 90s grunge and heavy metal and everything like that. And I started to like whip my hair around, and I realized I have none of it anymore. I am like spiky, shaven, like Chris Cornell, right around the black hole sun video, you know, not Chris Cornell temple of the dog style i am chris cornell black hole sun
0: all long that, enough so. but not long enough yeah know? like not yeah. not not really yeah. short but it's also not long but it looks good yeah i don't think we addressed Thanks. this last time that you had your cut uh the last time as well so yeah we I, we were going up to a wedding and it, you, you've gotten you yep. got you got the shot and you've gotten the cut i mean that's kind of how it happened
1: I got my second shot we went up to a wedding and it was socially distanced and there was masks and all that stuff but you still gotta look good for a wedding so I got my hair cut short and you know look nice in my suit and all that stuff so yeah
0: there you go Tony I think you're undercutting yourself with your long hair and your good looks in those those lovely long locks so I know I miss them I miss them already yeah. I want to be back I, I, it's funny, everything about you has changed too You don't have your muscle shirts on You're in a t-shirt, you don't have your cowboy hat on It's like you're Well that was a whole persona that I was going for Like It was a persona, your whole persona has changed Tony. <laughs>
1: Like I was all muscle shirts oh, and yeah, cowboy man. hats yeah. And now I'm like short shirts and
0: Yeah you look like t-shirts. you're ready to wrestle a bull Now you look like you're ready to you know go to the Starbucks or something Yeah that's true Very, very true. All right. Well, you still have your Topo Chico, so that's what matters. I do.
1: I do. Topo Chico, if you ever want
0: to sponsor us, please. Long hair or short hair, Tony is going to be drinking Topo Chico, so don't be afraid for a sponsorship. And have you seen that there is actually some uh, hard Topo Chico out in existence now, too?
1: We actually have one of our shelves of our refrigerator is full of hard Topo Chico, and I do not mean to besmirch the band, but man, it is not. Besmirch
0: the band? Do you mean the brand?
1: It, <laughs> oh, sorry, the brand. Um, it's I, not good. It is it seems it is like very, a stretch.
0: Good, uh, it doesn't so. seem like it's in their core facility of what they're good at. So sometimes it's a little little. Yeah, thing.
1: if you want to, if you want to have Topo Chico, just like do Topo Chico and rum, Topo Chico and vodka. You don't need to do any of the flavored stuff that's in the can. Sorry, Topocho.
0: Now, Topo Chico wants to come along and sponsor the podcast. Well, and you know, we'll we'll give it a second taste. Then I this.
1: will say the can is amazing. Now, what I didn't realize until recently is that Topo Chico is actually bought by Coca-Cola.
0: So, as usually happens with these kind of things,
1: yeah. That's why Topo Chico is so prevalent now, is because they were bought by the Coca Cola company. So,
0: got it. Yeah, I, I started seeing it sometime shortly after you started drinking it and telling me about it, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, there it is. But then I'm in another store. I'm like, oh, there it is. And I'm like, oh, I should text Tony a picture. Look, it's out in the wild. And then, obviously, there's a reason behind it. So, uh, yeah,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Coca Cola took. Well, it over, as long as it so. doesn't change
0: the flavor, like new Coke, I think you'll be okay.
1: That's what I'm hoping. All right. Keep those fingers crossed. All right, Tony,
0: let's get on with the show here. Let's uh, start our episode off with the question of the day. Uh, This one's just a fun one. What would be in baseball, when you go to the plate, you get a choice of what song you want to play while you walk to the plate. If you were a professional baseball player or even in the minor leagues, wherever they play baseball, wherever they play songs, while you walk up to the plate, what would be your walk up music? Or or slash, you know, this also could be looked at as like, what would be your wrestling entrance music?
1: You know what's weird? You pose this question and I was like, the first thing I thought of is like I never thought of like what my walk-up music for baseball, what my walk-up music for professional wrestling or any sports would be. It was always what would they play on the tonight show when you breach the curtain and then have to walk to the desk? Right. Because they always play a song and there's always different things. And for that, it was always Take Five by the Dave Brubeck Quartet.
0: Which, so is that a um, thing on The Tonight Show? Is it the guest's choice to what song they walk from the curtain to the desk to? Or is that just chosen by the like the house band? I have no idea.
1: I, I honestly have no idea. I assume if you're going to be a, t- a guest on The Tonight Show, you could turn to them and say, hey, I would really like you to do this song and they'd be able to do it because you're able to do a certain amount of like minutes of whatever. But yeah, like that's what I always thought.
0: How long is the walk from the curtain to the desk?
1: Oh God, it's gotta be like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Like you're
0: just, you just walk it out. Oh wow. That that's longer than I thought it would be. I thought it'd be like a, 15 maybe 20 second walk 40 seconds that's a you get a good riff in there see look it's like 40 seconds that's a good riff that's why I ask because you know it has to be a song that you could really get a quick riff in that kind of punctuates whatever your personality is but also can get right to the point yeah no so mine was always like doing that riff
1: on like the tonight show would always be like Dave Brubeck's quartet Dave Brubeck quartet take five but to do walk up music for like Baseball or, you know, WWE, I would be, like, either... You'd have to go with the obvious, you know, that Tony, Tony, Tony has done it again, which I never listened to Tony, Tony, Tony just because I hated it so much because it was so much of my name. Or the guitar riff from Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine. That like riff always seemed like the perfect way to kind of like walk into
0: a yeah, place. yeah I, I totally agree with that and that's kind of where mine led to was was from the like okay. so just a little bit of backstory I, I was first coming up with the walk-up music and i've had this one just kind of percolating around for just a, the right time uh and i just figured this, this felt right but you know it came from uh being out here in LA going to the Dodgers games uh, years ago when the Phillies were really good. So we went to them all the time whenever the Phillies were out here. um, Matt Kemp used to have uh, walk-up music that was um, an on-trend pop song at the moment. And and my wife loved it. It was always just fun. And she always like sang to it, even though we didn't like the Dodgers and all that kind of stuff. But it was just fun and always got me thinking. And then I always remember one of my favorite players of all time was Chase Utley. He walked up to Led Zeppelin.
1: Yeah, and I loved, uh, like, my favorite at the moment right now is D.D. Gregorius. D.D. Uh, Gregorius walks up to Notorious by B.I.G., and it's like, oh, 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 Notorious, and he just walks up, and he looks so, like, that is a man who looks so cool in a face mask. I hope he I agree, himself. I know. Like, he's got, he looks just so bad I know because usually it's like Like especially in
0: baseball you see always their faces and then the fact that he has a face mask but like it looks part of his uniform and even when almost nobody else is wearing one he still chose to wear one it It is pretty cool. So with that song yeah. playing as well. So, but that's what I love about the baseball walkout music. It, it so kind of has this aura to it. If you really choose the right song and it, it, it kind of has a chance to show a bit of personality and can either yeah, set the yeah, tone yeah. either. And like say an ugly, like that was always his song where I feel like Matt Kemp probably changed it up season. to season based off kind of what's like a hot new song, but that's also a lot of fun because then everybody kind of can get into it whenever you're coming up the bat. So that, that's another part of it where showing your personality that's like involving everybody so that's why i just always thought it was a fun thing or the wrestling entrance music and uh like i said a little backstory back in the day when i was uh younger uh in my high school days i used to do backyard wrestling oh, with a bunch of friends shit. yeah 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 yeah
1: <laughs> such a so, period of time how we all
0: how we survived i don't know but yeah it, it was it was a blast and we always had like storylines and doing all this and we all had characters and. Uh I, I always just had this song from the Deftones called Korea. And because oh, yeah. the best part about it was it kind of had a it had a build-up to it because it came in with like this softer kind of uh guitar riff, like den da and then and then all of a sudden it would kind of slightly build and then it just like burst into like a hard riff, and then the rest of the song was pretty rocking throughout. But I love that part where it's like that like eight to ten seconds of slow riff, and then it just punches you at that 10 second mark and then usually what I would happen would I would just come like rushing in with like a chair or a board or something like just ready to go (laughs) like right out of the gate and that was like always what I enjoyed in vision just running out that whole thing so that was always like my fun song to like play whenever we were doing the wrestling so that that was that was kind of my song but then like thinking about it i i also was thinking about a few other songs that were like honorable mention that could be cool and i thought about like fat boy slim right here right now oh right here right although now it's a good. little longer as far as again that that longer build up so it does no but that that beginning that like right
1: here right now that yeah that's good that's good
0: yeah, exactly. Although that's more of like an anthem song for maybe a whole team, so maybe not perfect for just a single person. Um, Blur Song 2 no, was another sure. one that I thought was good because it's punchy yeah. right away. Um, it's a good one. Yeah. I also liked Fire by Busta Rhymes off of his a- Anarchy album. Uh, this There's a throwback. A lot of these are throwbacks because a lot of them come from my
1: – By the way, Busta Rhymes uh, – Please get a biopic of him going because that man just changed the way I look at rap. Oh yeah, so much for him. Like the way he just like came out. I thought that dude was an alien. Like he just came out so fast and so weird. I agree. Amazing. So anything Busta Rhymes, I'm, I'm yeah. Bored.
0: He was one of the only rappers I really liked back growing up, and yeah, there was something about Busta Rhymes was just always really cool. So. Um, it says you know, the white guy over here, but yeah, I, I always enjoyed busover. listen. I
1: was I was with a bunch of white guys who listened to NWAs straight out of Compton and was like, oh, these guys finally get us. <laughs> like we we're just like like you, you're in you know late middle school, early high school. Oh yeah, that's, and I, it was terrible. It was terrible to think that like we understood anything about the world. But for some reason, the way, the way they talked about everything on Straight Outta Compton, we were just like, yes, and then Chronic, and then, you know, the Snoop album. And it was just like, yes,
0: this is, this is what we're feeling. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of that growing without up.
1: Without having any understanding of what these people were actually talking about.
0: I never had any understanding of it at all. And I had friends who I hung out with all love rap music and I just never understood it. So I wasn't his fan, but I kind of went along to get along. But I was always like, I, I don't know. I don't know any of this. So I never actually like, said, oh, yeah, I know what all this all is. and I, I agree. Like, I just didn't even know what it was. I went way over my head. So anyway, uh, off of that tangent, um, I would say if I was going to pick a song today, it might be uh, Van Halen and either Hot for Teacher or I'm the One because both of them just are so pumping hot for teacher i can't it's it's so good. why why hot for teacher? I, I i can't anytime i i mean really it's almost any van halen song because van halen is one of my all-time favorite bands everything that they make was just so much fun and that's why you really can't go wrong for any song that you put out there
1: i would say panama or you really got me by van halen would be like the top but hot for teacher
0: are you digging that drum solo oh, at the beginning? absolutely, man!
1: <laughs> okay. okay,
0: okay, absolutely. See, that's because it got that like just that first build up, and then it breaks into the whole rhythm, yeah. chorus, and all that. So, yeah, I, I, so Van I'm Halen, though. I mean, you. really can't I'm go with you. wrong with okay. any Van Halen. So those were just two of the ones I was kind of going through. I was like, yeah, I, I could pick one of these. Um A lot of these come from like my running playlist, so uh they're all ones that kind of get me pumped up and get me going. Yeah, there were so many
1: times that I, I was looking at this. Question. I was like, Jesus, there's so many like ska songs that I want to do because, deep in my heart, I think I was born with a a saxophone in my chest and a trombone for my lungs. Like, I just like love ska music so much.
0: You are Um,
1: so I was just like, oh, there would be all these like Streetlight Manifesto songs or Less Than Jake songs. I just do Automatic by Less Than Jake. That would be my song, and I'm just like. These aren't really like pump me up songs. They're just songs that I love so much.
0: I was trying to think like what's something more new that I might uh, I I might try to throw up there. And, you know, to have a little fun with it, I might throw a little Katy Perry in there. I don't know what song I would throw in there. But if we really wanted to kind of go against the grain, I think that could be another fun one.
1: Dude, Firework would be a great song to walk up to i uh there's the selena gomez song oh shoot she does it with somebody and i'm forgetting it is called oh Kaigo and selena gomez it ain't me i would walk up to that song Kaigo, selena gomez it ain't me i'd walk up to that song too because that is another one that's really good or
0: um All right. Well, we'll we'll list all these songs here, and you can all comment and uh, throw us uh, anything that you think would be your walk-up song. We love to hear from everybody. All right, Tony. So let's move on from what we're listening to or what we want people to listen to to what we are watching. Uh, So what have you been watching since the last time we talked? Oh,
1: I am so deep into *Mayor of
0: Easttown.
1: (laughs) I mean... I, it, by the time this airs, Mare is probably going to be done. But at this point, we are on episode okay. five. And just loving this. First thing I'm going to say is I love the limited series. The limited series of just being like essentially a detective novel on right. TV. So we don't know what's going to happen with Mare of and She can do whatever in her life or whatever before her life. But just having a limited series to know that we're going to have a mystery wrapped up right now. I just, I love it. I love it like all of those pulp like detective novels. I just think it's great. The only reason I started watching it was because... I read so many articles about how hard mm-hmm. Kate uh, Winslet had with the accent, that Delco accent. Now, spoiler alert, uh, both John and I are from the southeastern part of I, Pennsylvania. Well, uh,
0: spoiler alert, I'm actually from Delco. Oh, you're, I am you're from Delco. County, like, proper.
1: Okay. I, I'm from Lancaster County. So you got Lancaster County. So if we're going. if if we're going east so you got lancaster county you got chester county and then you have delaware county so i am actually two counties west of john so we have our own accent as you can probably tell from listening to this podcast
0: I'm also I'm sure later in the podcast, the later it goes, the more I'm sure our accents uh, slip out. That's usually how it happens, (laughs) where if I'm with it, I'm very attuned to how I'm speaking. And I am very much more succinct and don't use any sort of dialect. And I have certain words I'm conscious about because of what I've grown up that I was using. And then the longer I get tired, the probably the more it slips out, as most people do with accents that haven't been around it in a while.
1: Or you've been around the people that you're with 100. The the thing is, we've known to bury our accents. Like you got to bury your accent because it's terrible. <laughs> you know. Okay. All right. Like first off, so go ahead. Slate. Go ahead. It, Slate Slate called the Pittsburgh accent the worst accent in America. The second most <laughs> was the Delco accent.
0: Well, and it's really funny because like a quick story of like an example of this. So one of the running jokes is that, and you don't realize it until you actually leave the greater Philadelphia area, the Delaware Valley, they call it, is that, (laughs) God? it's like telling the story is even, it's hard to say. So do it,
1: bro. Do it. Believe in yourself.
0: The the word I'm, I'm drinking a, a glass of water right now. So what do you think? They call it in Delaware County. They call it I got water. A glass water. W-O-O-D-E-R. So you grow up like this. Yep. It's the word that is said. So you don't even think anything of it. It's just natural. It's what it's called. It's called water. Yeah. Okay, cool. You know. Yeah, you so, water. Uh, in college, I was out on this trip with this group. And we we're in Kansas City. And we went out to this restaurant. And we all just sit down. And I'm like really thirsty. So I just decided to go up to the bar. I'm going to get a glass of water. So I go up. And I'm like, hi, can I get a glass of water? He's like, well, you want what? I was like, I want a water. And he's like, you want what? I was like, I want a glass of water. He's like, you want a what? I want a glass of wood. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) and I'm sitting there going, why does this kind of like, I don't many times I got to repeat myself. Like it's not crowded. It's like five o'clock. It's like the early dinner rush, like, or not even a dinner rush. And I'm like, how's he not hearing me? What's going on here? And when I slowed it down, I realized what was happening and I instantly felt stupid. And I was like, Oh, can I get a glass of water? (laughs) I really then like overemphasized the a, and then, yep. 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 So that was my first, uh, experience out in the real world uh, learning that the way I speak isn't always certain. People proper. don't speak like no. Delco. So I, I then was, that was when <laughs> you can't it was do like water. soon after that I was moving to LA and those were like one of, there's a few other words too that you really try to make sure that you say it in a more <laughs> strict dialect so that you don't look like an idiot. Uh, yeah. So that is one of them though, What oh we call it water ice, which is a local, a local dessert that is uh very common so it's all over and then it's so funny when, like my parents come out and visit or i go back and visit friends and family they're all saying water and i hear it and it sounds like my ears are stepping on glass it's so funny
1: oh my gosh yeah no and the lancaster accent is a little is it's slightly different and then um my parents grew up in scranton and the scranton accent sounds like um you know, if you ever watched Bobby's World, Bobby's mom, like it's just such a like flat A accent, like it's just yeah. crazy. Yeah, watching, uh, like watching Mayor of Easttown. One of the things that I did was, uh, my wife's mom is an acting professor at a university on the East Coast, and I was like, I was like, yo, you should check this out because th- th- there's a lot about this accent and how hard this is and this is how they're promoing the show so I'm watching the first episode of Mary Easton with my wife she is just like mmm okay okay she's struggling here she's struggling here nope oh she got it she got it she got it there she got it there she got it there okay this is good this is good She's t- nope no, 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 messed up here, messed up here. And I'm just sitting there and they're building up the drama and I got like the play-by-play going on next to
0: me. (laughs) Yeah. Of of the accent, how good the accent, now it's going up and down. Well, that's what I read about it was it's it's a very strong effort, but I guess for people who are closer to it that are kind of reviewing, they're saying she doesn't really quite do it justice for the accent she doesn't quite hit it but i guess sometimes she does so yeah. that has kind of been i guess she's a little all over the map but uh everybody seems to appreciate the effort because usually when you do a philly slash local county accent it's typically just pawned off like a cheap brooklyn accent is a lot of times what happens and they don't actually yeah, do it
1: a lot of brooklyn a lot of baltimore yeah, well, too. that's
0: what i'd actually say it's more like a baltimore accent than a brooklyn accent that's what um, I
1: thought too, but like a lot of people are saying, New York. Well, so I think whatever. that's just
0: again the stereotyping of Philadelphia in the New York sphere, where it's it's pretty separate. But there's actually, I'll put in the show notes. There's a YouTuber, this guy from Philadelphia, who actually walks through the accent and explains how it how it actually sounds and like does the actual um, inflections and teaches you how to kind of do it. And a lot of it is they swallow letters to shorten up words it is yeah. basically the, oh, 100%. the the gist of it so when you actually see flat yeah when swallow. you actually see him go yeah. through it and do it very in the kind of like slow motion and repetitively you kind of actually can see it broken down so it's really interesting so i'll put that in the show notes because i i saw that several years ago and found it really fascinating uh and it was like yes this all makes sense and now i, I can actually hear it and my wife has always heard me like yeah. say it uh Parts of my accent and how I say things, because she was grew up in Upper uh, Upstate New York, and then didn't come into the Philadelphia area till like uh, you know uh, early, uh, you know mid age, like seven, eight, something like that. So, anyway, yeah, so yeah, she, yeah. she didn't have like the full indoctrination of it. And she's from Bucks County, which has a little less of a, a full on accent. So
1: that is a very Pennsylvania. Anyway, thing. all
0: right, we're getting into a lot of more inside baseball here. So anyway, um, back to uh, Mayor of Easttown. So I haven't seen it yet. I thought you were going to say I saw all the articles about her falling in love with Wawa. That was where I kept hearing people talk about it, too. That uh, was the other thing which did, that she Listen. She became obsessed with Wawa. Wawa. So, no, we don't have to get into a tangent on that. Uh, we'll put a link to Wawa. It's the best convenience store there possibly is. Right. The only
1: other thing I'll say about Mary's Town is uh, the SNL skit Murder Derder is... Pretty amazing, and I think uh, of all the Mera Town, like kind of like wrangling around Murderder. The it's so it's M U R D E R D U R D E R, the Saturday Live sketch. Check it out because they just like rail on Mera Town like so perfectly like it's the perfect way to lampoon it while understanding that it is entirely a wonderful show but like, it's a great way to do it. So Murder, dirter. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. what it
0: all is all coming up to. Uh, I haven't seen the skit either uh, because I was waiting until I started watching the show a little bit more. So I don't have any kind of spoilers or anything like that. And and I probably would get no, you I would get the skit there's no spoilers once just, I actually watch a few episodes. So that's what I'm waiting for. This is next up on the list. So I will have this under my belt within the next uh, probably like two or three weeks. Because uh, uh, definitely Because I finished Fargo, so we are cleared the decks, and we are going to do this one, like you said, because it's a limited run, so we can get in, we can get out, and we can be on our way. It's a gr- it's a glorious thing. All of it. What are you watching? What
1: are you watching, John?
0: What I am watching is I watched Terminator Dark Fate. I. <laughs> why? Why do you laugh? Why do you laugh, Tony? Why do you laugh?
1: Well, there's so much about the Terminator series that I just do not understand.
0: And, and, and you won't get any understanding watching this movie. So just off the bat.
1: So start with like, like what is it? Do the, the, whole, do the whole recap thing. And- okay.
0: So Terminator dark fate uh, is the, basically the next chapter in the Terminator saga, which doesn't have this big linear connection. Like they've consistently tried to put out new movies of the Terminator and hoping to spawn the franchise further along, but each time seems to be a whiff. And not since Terminator 2. They they haven't none of them have been super successful, at least uh critically in box office enough to like coalesce around a single idea. So each one feels almost like a one-off and they try to riff off of Terminators before, but you don't know which ones they're kind of including because sometimes they'll forget another one that's kind of been. Considered not as good, this and that. So honestly, I don't know really where this one comes into as far as the Terminator universe and If it's doing it going directly from T2 into this one, or if it's including a few of the other ones, because I haven't seen all of the other ones. So I don't really know. I just saw it. I was like, you know what? I'm in for a fun, easy movie. I actually heard it wasn't that bad as far as the more recent Terminator entries. So I gave it a shot. Basic gist of the story is there is a Terminator from the future. That's a real bad guy. Uh, <laughs> and that he is sometimes. out on a mission to kill a single person who is going to possibly be a leader of the resistance in the future. And then another person is sent back to protect this this future leader of the resistance. And along the way, there's a few more people pop up that are going to try to help out as well. And uh, one of those people is... Linda Hamilton uh, recurs her role as Sarah yes. Connor so that was kind of fun that was a big deal that was a big headliner moment of the the movie and of course uh, Sir Arnold Schwarzenegger makes a return uh, as the Terminator T1000 so as the old Terminator yeah I so listen yeah that. I'll I'll just say this. This, this movie isn't terrible. It, it's, it is fun. It's easy to watch. Um, there, there are definitely plot weirdness going on. And I don't want to say necessarily pl- say plot holes, which I'm sure there even are if you really keep track of all this stuff. They really just sometimes just cut some corners and be like, listen, he's back. Here's a here's a reason, what's going on, and we're gonna then just end that part of it and move on. And he's now part of the movie and you're just kind of like, right. And now, okay, things are happening. sure. Like, and you know, like when that happens in this kind of movie, like I said, I, I had very low expectations. So it's like, sure, whatever. Like I, I want him in the movie. I want to yeah. let him be a part of all like the big action sequences in the end and fighting the other Terminator. So it's, it's fine. So some of the nuances of the story of that, that basic general gist, which is, the carbon copy of every other Terminator movie outside of the Christian Bale one. The person sent back is a person, human kind of, uh, mashup rather than being a, a, uh, machine dressed as a human. It's a human that has parts embedded as a machine. Then, um, right. the, the bad guy is the bad guy. Um, he can split into doubles. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, I guess, and, yeah, it's our old Terminator. Like, Tarnold Schwarzenegger is old and he's still a Terminator underneath, but he somehow has aged, which I didn't know was a thing for Terminators. I didn't know it was a thing either. But
1: I also didn't know a thing
0: that Wolverine could age
1: and that apparently that oh, was okay. a thing.
0: Yeah, I so I didn't know that either. So
1: remember from, like, Wolverine, like, with the one with Patrick Stewart yeah. and everything? Like, yeah. Oh,
0: the the one that was kind of like a Western. Yeah. I Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. anyway, you know... All in all, it was fine. It's I this movie I I, I almost liked more and I disliked. I didn't really even dislike it because it was like low expectations. It hit all the marks, it does its job. Uh, it's probably better than other ones that I have seen. And the yeah. the weakest point of all this, it's always the same story, though. Like I said, it's always just this this machine comes back to kill this person that's gonna be kind of fighting against them in the future. So that part is a little wrought and it just is there, but I, you know, I, I wish they would get creative in that that regard to actually do something different rather than literally the carbon copy and so yeah. that's where I think the biggest downfall of the movie is is that it doesn't really do anything original in that way. Now, what I do find impressive about these movies is the the bad guy is always at a high level of threat and conflict like they it is just a relentless, relentless. Uh, machine, uh, for lack of a better word, that, that always consistently is just going, going, yeah. going. And they started that from T2, where like that bad guy just never stopped. What I find impressive is that you have to create all these set pieces where you're going to get these big action sequences where the they're always going to, the bad guy's about to get the the target and the Terminator, the good Terminator, comes in, fights them off and, you know, but then they have to find a way to get out of those sequences so that they can have a down period so it's not all action and rush. I always find that interesting because they got to have a great action sequence set piece and then they have to find a way to get yeah. out of it where they actually can stop that bad guy long enough that they can get away for a certain period of time. And honestly, they, they generally do a great job at that. Like they find creative ways to do it. It's fun. The set pieces are really crazy. Uh, there are times where I'm actually engaged in like, like, holy crap, that thing looks like, how are they going to get out of this? Like it's, it's on their ass, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they they do a good job at that, and like I said, most of the Terminators I watched. I remember even T three with Arnold coming back for the first time, which was the huge deal. They had that huge uh, scene where like he was on a fire truck, and then it grappled into like a tow truck, and then somehow, or it was a crane or something, and then the crane got pulled off, and then it like started going through the street. Like it was all kinds of crazy, wild action. Yeah.
1: Oh, dude, the whole T two thing when like he came back as a good guy when you. Even had him hiding the shotgun in the a oh, bundle of roses. I just thought about that the other like, day. Was just so was like such a good thing, and him like like racking the shotgun while riding the bike. Like they they did a great job with the d two. I'm um, I'm interested to see this. There's always just this logic thing that like blows me away with um, all of the Terminator movies. It's like. The people from the future know immediately if sending a Terminator back worked or not. So, like, they send them back and doesn't work and be like, maybe we should send, like, 50 back to like, right then. And, like, it feels like all of the Termina- Terminator movies need to take place right at that first 1984 movie. Like, just... Everybody just like right there. Because that's when you'd want to like destroy everyone.
0: Right. Like if it was say John Connor, why not you remember then when you were attacked, why not send it back directly to the first moment that you remember being encountered with that Terminator to, to stop it. Right. Instead of willy-nilly whenever. Uh yeah, I know. Look, that those are certain things I, that are I you mean, just I know I mean so silly. I guess they do a decent job in the first two and then the successive ones they always try to explain themselves out of the uh, the paper bag with you know why is it actually still happening why do we have more terminators coming back to kill and protect each other and you know I, you're just like whatever <laughs> again it's it does get to a point where you're just like it's fine like this series never elevated past the first one to become a full universe like they were hoping it will be like other for movies sure. do for the sure, movie for did sure. remind me a bit of parts and that's a good way to put it yeah. I mean, it, and that's kind of, and so then they just are going to probably keep spitting these out as long as Arnold wants to do something. And then at some point they might even go completely different and start over. Who knows, but they're going to keep making the few of them until they, nobody even pays it for anything.
1: The way you said that is really well stated. Like they never developed it into a universe. And, and that's so much of like, we take for granted when you talk about Marvel, we can talk about DC. Like even if you realize how DC is such a lesser universe than Marvel is, I'm only saying that to mess with John. But like when you realize that the Terminator universe is so one note that it just never expands upon itself to explore any of the other things that might be going on within this thing so a t2 comes back like what else could be happening what else is there what you know and that is the thing that i think you're right on about like when you don't expand to a universe you can't keep making sequels because they're just gonna like keep being lesser and lesser
0: yeah, and then, you know, cuz then they don't have real a continuity behind it. I think bringing Linda Hamilton back was was yeah. an attempt at sort of this. And and you know, well, and exactly, fun. but again, it wasn't yeah. enough of an event that because it was in the next chapter that we actually brought her back. Like you could have done this at any point. They just found a way to reintroduce her and it was fine. You know, I mean, again, some of the backstory to that yeah. and what what how Arnold's still in it, it it's it's very flimsy. Oh, and, God, yeah. they, and then they also try to give Arnold some funny lines about him cuz he's trying to be like robot man but then he like acts like a human and they call him Carl. So spoiler alerts, his name is Carl in in the show, in the movie. <laughs> he, he, he his business is he 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 sells draperies and installs draperies. So, like, there's small little things that they think are going to be funny, probably hit a laugh in in a movie theater, but then when you're, like, looking at it as a whole, it's just like, ah, that's part of it. It just doesn't have the tone of the original two, and I think that's the biggest thing missing, I think, with each success of Terminator. It doesn't quite hit that, that dark... Uh, gritty tone that the originals had and they're a little too polished yeah. and they're more of It'll, just this oh, for sure, for sure. action movie that has some sort of familiar elements to it which again is fine like it, it's moved past it. it it's just now what it is that we're you know don't worry about it being a universe just enjoy it for what it is and I did um, and so when you do that it, it's it's an enjoyable movie the, the action sequences are absolutely amazing they remind me a bit of a couple not all of them and not quite to that level but a bit of the Fast and Furious type because it gets into just these really just non-stop right, now you have me hooked, in. action and like in your face like gripping conflict and it's just some of them are really really good and you're just like holy crap and like i said because it's, it's just out of the nature of the bad guy he is relentless like that is his nature overall and it just ha- adds a heightened element to the action sequences so they do a good job with them and when you're watching an action movie like this that's one of the main things you want out of it and they give you a lot of them too it's not just like one or two there's probably like a good five or six or more of just like all this stuff going on you're just like i don't know what's happening right now like this is crazy so they do a good job that way that's
1: great that's great that's great i I, i'm in i'm ready to check it out
0: they i think they've blown past the idea of skynet and like they said they shut it down or something
1: (laughs) I know they did. They destroyed it so many times. So,
0: but now there's like a new thing called the Legion or something like that, and it just gets into like they just re repackage a bunch of old stuff. You're just like, okay, sure, whatever. Yeah, there's another bad guy that creates the same kind of Terminators. Okay, fine. <laughs> I get it. That was I'll, I'll say this real one last thing. That was my actually the the best part about I think Terminator Three was in the very end. There was no resolution in the sense they just said. Arnold's less like oh yeah no it happens like just because you stopped me the last time or we stopped that other bad guy the last time it doesn't actually stop it from happening it just stopped that line of events but fate's gonna happen and I actually enjoyed that I was like okay that's good I I thought that was the best
1: of them I thought that was the best of the things to be like yeah that's the paradox of time travel and trying to fix all retroactively I that was my favorite of them. And I know that isn't the most popular, but that was my favorite. Yes.
0: And I agree. And that's, it actually addressed that a little bit more head on and actually had a better explanation rather than just trying to do all this jujitsu to, you know, time warp and get people into the movie. So it was good. Whatever. Anyway,
1: so glad you brought that up. Yeah.
0: Anyway, that's what I'm watching. Go check it out. Not, not terrible. Not great. It's, it's right there as a good, easy flick. On to news. Okay. So moving on into our current events. So, won't, won't stay on this too long but uh just recently announced AT&T is changing course uh and seems to be methodically abruptly planning their exit of the content business now this isn't a full sale but uh AT&T is uh spinning off WarnerMedia which they acquired just 3 years ago and the Warner Media is merging with Discovery Communications. This is so basic. And what's happening is I think Warner is going to have, or I'm sorry, AT&T is going to have about a 70% stake in it. And Discovery is going to have a 30% stake in this.
1: I just, uh, I, I think they're just short-sighted. Okay, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I it. think
0: it's kind of crazy. It's, but here nor there I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds of the streaming wars as far as you know the mergers and who owns what and all this kind of stuff the one thing i did want to kind of zero in on because i was listening to a podcast about this uh it was the recode with peter kofka uh recode media and he had on a guest uh from i believe the new york times and uh let's see here he had a guest on from the New York Times media reporter, Edmund Lee, and during their conversation, Edmund Lee made a point, uh, which I will play back right now, uh, just discussing what he thinks is kind of the the difficult commodity to come across uh, in all of uh, entertainment and the content creation business. So let's just take a listen. John Stanky was right. Like, it needs more content, period, right? That's what Netflix figured out not that long ago. So you know, it's, it's a race for adding more content and in the race for adding more content, it's a race for, for, for talent, right? That's, that's what's limited. And that's what Netflix realized only too recently, right? Which is why they created this, you know, great new headquarters uh, uh, in Hollywood and Tetsu has been, been glad handling all the, the talent because that's where the limited pool is, right? That's, you know, you can throw all the technology you want at it, but you know, the talent is still a limited thing. It's not YouTube. It's not like they're just finding people off the street to create stuff. Someone has to make the show. Someone has to act in the show. There's a limited number of people who can do that. So Tony, a lot of what he's saying is that there's a short supply of talent. Uh, That is the premium right now for specifically the streaming wars, because the idea going in order to create all this content, you need the top of the line talent that will move the needle and draw people in. And that is in short supply. It's also very expensive. So that's, that's the difficulty of the streaming platforms and these companies that they have to invest a whole lot of money to get all these people, which I isn't to me totally wrong. I mean, you look at all these first look deals that a lot of these uh, a plus uh, talent are making JJ uh, Abrams. Um, it comes to mind with, Oh, with Warner Media, actually, um, JJ Abrams with Warner Media got this huge overall deal. Zack
1: Snyder, Josh Wheaton, like yeah, and those are the those are the only three I know with yeah. Warner Media. Oh, wait, is Jordan Peele with Warner Media or is he uh, Universal? He
0: might be Universal, uh, but again, and it doesn't really matter where they're going, and they're just getting these big overall no, deals no, no, for of sure. hundreds of millions of dollars. This is before they even spend a dime on whatever they ended up actually producing from these companies. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just was I thought it was an interesting way of framing all this that what isn't it it's not about necessarily just the shows or having all these properties as far as IP. It's about finding the talent to be able to actually make all this content and that is what's in short supply. So I after talking to you with this a little bit uh before the show, I know you had a bit of a visceral reaction to all of this, and I was just curious where <laughs> what that reaction was.
1: I, yeah, I did have a very visceral reaction. I like full disclosure. I like I was very hot before the show when uh, John play made this because this is somebody coming at media without understanding anything about media. Yes, you can buy talent, you can buy the J.J. Abrams, you can buy every like. Steven Spielberg you can do the Netflix model of doing David Fincher along with doing Kevin Spacey and making like whatever you want to do here's the thing the companies that you think of as being very successful sometimes do this big deep dive into throwing money into a bunch of people who kinda are good and need an opportunity to rise so, I was screaming at John before the podcast started. So let's talk about people who were trying to establish a brand. When MTV was trying to establish a brand, they started with doing mostly music shows, music news shows, music highlight shows, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, they wanted to do something different. So they did the real world. The real world is what Set off reality Television as you know it The whole idea Of like keeping up with The Kardashians or any of that Is all based on The real world and MTV was even able to take it a step Further because beyond the real World they were able to do You know the Osbournes and they were able to do uh, The Nick Lachey And Jessica Simpson ...show that they were able to, like, take this celebrity reality show and make it a thing. And this was done because MTV didn't have any money to do stuff. And then you look at Fox. Fox's biggest show was The Simpsons, based on the cartoons of Matt Groening... ...who nobody had heard of before Matt Groening was doing stuff on The Tracy Ullman Show... And Fox picked them up. And then you also have stuff like Married with Children, The X-Files. One of their first shows was 21 Jump Street. Like 90210, you had Aaron Spelling, who was a known entity. And then you had all these other cast members who were nobodies. Okay? Then you look at Comedy Central. Comedy Central started in 1989. And they had things like Mystery Science Theater 3000. You had Short Attention Span Theater, which was hosted by Jon Stewart, which actually laid the groundwork for every clip show that you've seen since then. And then you had stuff like Win Ben Stein's Money. You had South Park. Trey and Matt had no other deals before this stuff started. And I could go on and on, like Nickelodeon with, you know... Nickelodeon, I'll just say... You had a ton of different things. But let's just say Hey Dude. Hey Dude was done by Didi LaDuke. LeBou- Le- Le- Didi LaDuke. And Didi LaDuke had all of three credits which were mostly Double Dare spin-offs. And they were just like gave her a show. And Hey Dude become one became one of the biggest shows on Nickelodeon. All I'm saying is that All these shows, or all these streaming services doing things, trying to pay high talent, are actually missing the boat. What they need to do is dig down on talent that is already here, already available, already able to, like, create something, and roll the dice on stuff. And that is the biggest stuff of this. End rant. Sorry. Like, ugh.
0: All right. But actually you make a lot of great points. And I, I agree with all, almost all of them because when I first heard this, it, it actually got me thinking a little bit like, huh, that's a very interesting way to frame it. And, it, and I guess maybe it's a little bit of like, oh yeah, that makes you feel a little better if like, you know, you and me are aspiring writers and, you know, working writers or, or working talent, like you're a up comedian. And it makes you feel good that like you're in that pool. That you want to be considered like rare in that you're hard to get by and like you are in demand. That's always a nice thing. But I think what you're saying though, is because he's more referring to this, you know, established talent that are getting these huge deals. Like we just spoke about, like even uh, the other one I thought about Shonda Rhimes at Netflix, got a huge overall deal there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she got an overall and that was one of the first shows that came out of it. But, and even off of that, I I think you're right though, that that kind of means less because on a couple levels here. First, not a lot of people know all these names, and the common, the the common audience all across America, or even the world, they they don't know all these names. They don't all know who Damien Lindelof is. That and like. Or, or who Shonda Rhimes sure. is, even though she might be even more popular than Damien Lindelof. But like, at first, I didn't even know Bridgerton I was mean, one of those yeah. Shonda Rhimes shows. Like, I just heard about it and then it was becoming big and for whatever reason, it was one of those new Netflix shows that's kind of getting some uh, buzz. Not till a little later did I realize it was her first show there. So, you know, you don't need the name in order for the buzz to kind of necessarily catch around outside of the initial buzz, you know. Um, I... I I agree with you too. That a lot of the times, some of the best work that comes out is from the lesser known or less unestablished talent. And you just gave rattle off a whole bunch of historical examples, but even more recent. When you look at Netflix, look at Stranger Things, the Duffer Brothers. They 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 didn't have anything before Stranger Things. No, the Duffer Brothers. Now it's a worldwide phenomenon, and all those kids too. They were nothing, and now now they're famous. Now the Duffer Brothers are famous. Um, And even um, the guys from Game of Thrones. They weren't. They didn't have a lot of established, well known. Own credits outside of being working writers but they weren't like some uh, in-demand uh, producers to be the showrunner of this next great epic. They, that was all just a, a, a chance and a gamble by the people at HBO and and producers and um, yeah. George R. R. Martin.
1: And when you look about things like what about Ali Wong? what about Roy Ror, Rory Shovel what about like there's so many people who are talented, who can move into this next level that is just like like why not why not do that why not take the risk on those people to do the next level stuff and that's that's how it all works is you need to have people who are willing to take a risk and it feels like when you get a company like AT&T and they're looking down the barrel of everything and they're like well if we can't get david fincher and we can't get him to do a movie with tom hanks what are we really doing when you can be like hey there's so many other like talented people who are coming up through this whole thing why don't you just like grab yeah. them like this should be a boon for everybody who's doing anything creative but like it's not because there's a big like dividend on the back end to be like, well, if we can't pay our stockholders, what right. are we doing?
0: And they want to make splashy headlines by signing certain people it makes them investors feel like, Oh, they're working on a plan. But I agree with you. Like some of the best stuff right. is the new stuff from less known talent and unestablished talent. That's, and we just gave a bunch of examples there and there's, there's plenty, plenty more of that. I agree too. And I think that's where the best gambles are. And you even go back to like X files. That was like, you know, why would anybody do a show like that? But then it turns up being a hit. Vince Gillian. then, but that's, that's kind of what established Fox then to actually, in addition to a few of the other things you mentioned, but X-Files was one of his first major drama hits. And, and, but then Netflix, it was the same thing with some of these other shows like stranger things. Now, like a house of cards, they took, That was a little different situation because that was your very first and they wanted um, something to establish themselves. But again, that was a different dynamic at a different time. This wasn't now this is a maturing area. So obviously they're starting to try to get on big names to say, oh, we have him here or her here, you know, so come here to watch their stuff. And That is a little bit of a land grab, but I, I agree. Actually, I think the best strategy would be to invest all that money. It's First off, it just wouldn't take as much money to do because you don't have to pay those exorbitant amounts for the talent just to even have them agree to make shows for you, let alone them pay for whatever show ideas they have. Also, even look at like lost like yeah. that's what put Lam- Damien Lindelof on the map was lost and that was a gamble and that was such a yeah. kind of out there show and the concept of high concept and that's what seems to actually grab when it's all executed well and it does have to get executed properly. There's plenty of high concept shows on Netflix that are just okay, but you know it's kind of a little bit like for every ten of the high concept shows you make from the people that don't aren't established, even just one or two break out you're you you're making your return like x amount of fold
1: dude look about like the Chappelle show like he made half-baked in 1998 and then killing him softly was 2000 2006 was when they ordered the Chappelle show like it's not like this was like this like heat that was like super rising like they recognized a great talent, and I think that's the thing. It's like so many of these networks just don't want to recognize really good talent or put their neck out to be like, hey, this person's really good. But when you put out your neck and say this person's really good, you end up with the Chappelle show. You end up with South Park. You end up with, like, you know, a Lost. You end up with all of these shows that are great.
0: And I, I think this ties back around to our conversation last episode where we were talking about uh, Lord of the Rings, this, the series on Amazon, and the idea of these streaming services trying to find the next Game of Thrones. And they kind of pigeonhole that in it is, oh, it has to be this huge giant fantasy epic in order to, you know, have this next cultural phenomenon. And uh, we were both making the point, and specifically that was my big thing about it, where I think it's a misguided strategy is because it's not about the genre or the epicness of it it's about everything that kind of just came together and made it unique was what was special yes was the epic part of it and the cinematic part of it part of the special lore of the show absolutely but that doesn't necessarily mean that's part and parcel with what's the next great cultural phenomenon and just spending a whole bunch of money on this show one show trying to recapture that in a bottle is not going to work yeah 100% so, and I feel like this is a little bit of the same kind of argument or the same strategy that you're talking about with the, them trying to go after this talent and then considering this talent like the the rare golden unicorn that'll instantly turn their streaming service into the 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 biggest one out there and beat Disney. So, it, you make up very good points, and uh, yeah, I, I I come back around to your your perspective on this, and I and I agree totally with you that look for some of the unfound talent like, you know, the diamonds and the roughs, like and but you gotta go through a lot and, and-
1: Dude, there's so much there's so much talent out there. Like I've been out in the comedy clubs. I've like it there's so much talent out there. And like there's not a there's not a dearth of it at all. And these people want to sign something that is going to make a name and going to make a splash, but like what you really need to do is just make a good show. And there's people out there who can make good shows. And you have the money to invest in it. Like, what are they? They're selling... AT&T is passing off the content creation for, what, $42 billion? And they bought it for 80 billion? You're literally selling for half the cost. And you couldn't put that amount of billion into new talent, you could literally lock up the market. Like literally, if you said every screenplay that gets written in this town is going to be a million dollars, like I'm just going to buy it for a million dollars and lock it up. <laughs>
0: That's a great point.
1: If $40 billion would lock up 40,000 screenplays that you could just say, those are mine and you could completely control the industry so like at&t doing their like well we gotta give dividends whatever you want to do man but like you could literally take that money that you're losing and corner the industry is not hard this is not like rocket science
0: i agree yeah and It's why that's a really good point. I didn't think about either. Just like how much investment you could do again, because you're unestablished, it doesn't cost the amount of uh, capital that you're trying to chase after all these A++ talent that are known quantities, but how much more content you actually could create and find a bunch of really great special people within all of that. Uh, Because you could make so much more at such a lower cost. And then once they get into a higher level, then you you can either stick with them or move on to, again, continuing to just... 100%,
1: 100%, you can find out what works and what doesn't.
0: That's what It's kind of like you know, the sports analogies in here where you have some of these lower market teams, that's what they have to do. They have to really keep just turning over great talent, and they do, but then they get to a certain level and they might move on to a, a larger market will pay them more money. But they have learned their game of, well, we just have to continually make good minor leagues and a system that keeps bringing us great talent and being willing to move on once they, they hit their peak here.
1: And some of those people will be super loyal. Some of those people will be like, you gave me my shot. I'm super loyal to you and you're going to do your thing. And exactly. They're going to stick with you and they're going to be your JJ Abrams. They're going to be your Shonda Rhimes. They're going to be your like Ryan Murphy's. Like,
0: yeah, they're, they're, they're your in-house talent that that's what they're associated with, whatever your streaming network is. So great points, man. So that's fantastic. So, well, I oh. think that's that's good. Just uh, your point is, Keep, just give keep, me the money. I'll run. A, I'll run your studio. Your stuff.
1: Can we? Can we just put it out there? Just give me all your money. AT and T. I'll run your studio,
0: and I'll make you profitable. This is not hard to do. (laughs) All right, Uh, Tony Hudak's the next CEO of the. (laughs)
1: Right, right, right. I'm sure. I'm sure Apple's gone.
0: Hang on a second. Uh, Oh, Tim Cook. Yeah. Well, he's always listening. A T and T. You you found the magic formula, Tony. Hello. Oh, Tony's on the call. (laughs) Uh, Tim, Tim Apple. All right. Right. All right. Well. uh, Good condo. All right, Tony. So moving on from our current events, let's move into our main event. This episode, we'll be discussing montages and passage of time sequences. Yeah, man. Uh, Tony. I, the reason I bring this up, and I was chatting with you uh, a couple days ago, I, I started thinking about montages uh, in my current script that we've been kind of going over, and you've been I've been having some therapy sessions on. Uh, I don't think this will be quite that deep, but I will see if maybe I can get some tips out of it. Uh, I'm doing a couple montage sequences throughout it where. I I was a real slog and real difficult to get through. And now, uh, currently, I got past the montage and I'm kind of moving along a lot quicker clip here of filling out my uh, long outline. Uh, so... It was interesting because I was like, man, I had all the ideas scoped out of my brain about like what I wanted to do. And I was like, okay, at this point, I'm going to have to kind of speed up time a bit and show passage of time and that they're building something. They're, they're building a company. And I had to kind of show that in a compressed time that because it, it it's building a company. So it's like one of those actions and events that you can't just be like. And we built the company in three days. like there's there's no actionable visual to really project that out. So you have to do this idea of a montage where you compress the amount of time into just like a short, you know one or two uh, a couple pages and there's a different a bunch of different tactics to do it. And that's kind of what we'll we'll talk about a little bit today. So that's where the kind of nugget of this kind of came from. So, I'm going to hand it off to you. You did a little bit more homework on this and kind of, why don't you just give us a brief explainer of kind of like what a montage is and kind of its purpose and maybe like kind of how somebody might break it down into the ideas of maybe buckets or something like
1: that. Uh, One of the things I love about this podcast is whether anybody listens to it or not, I like do so much research on this and it makes me realize how much I'm not using the tools that are available in cinema that I should be using. And it really makes me do a deep dive on it. So at the end of the day, I'm making myself better just by being part of the podcast.
0: So, and you dear audience are making yourself better by listening to Tony learn about the tools that he should be using by doing his deep dive. So we hope to pass on all of his research and knowledge. (laughs) so I'm going to break down this is the 10 different types of montages
1: and this was originally done by Cineflix and it's been repeated over and over again across the internet as like the definitive 10 different type of montages that are used throughout cinema so I don't know how we should do this, maybe Uh, what I'll do is I'll read through them and then we can like kind of bust into our different types of montages that we enjoy based on what I'm saying, if that makes sense. Okay. So the first type of montage, according to Cineflix um, is the narrative sprint. The first type of montage is known as the narrative sprint. And what that is is you're just condensing time. This is like the, you know, reporter running down a story where it's like, you know, having the door slammed in their face and they're like typing on a computer and they're like finally getting a piece of information or like the, you know, detective knocking on the doors and doing whatever it's just condensing everything into the time and i think that's the thing that most people think of when they think of a montage
0: right and that's basically where i think the type of montage i was in in my current story right now
1: dude all of my
0: montages
1: are just this they're just the narrative sprint and actually the second one Mm -hmm. which is joke delivery so we have narrative sprint as the first one and the second one and these are the only two montages i've ever used narrative sprint and joke delivery joke delivery is you're making jokes out of compressed time so the things you want to think of in that are like um so you can go meta you can think about like team america world police when they're like it's time to do a montage like like when you do all of that, like that's like the funny thing. Um, in Wet Hot American Summer, they also do that sort of like training montage. The one I think of that's the truest form of this is um, the intro of Rushmore. So when you're so when you're introducing Rushmore as a character in the Wes Anderson movie Rushmore, it goes through all the clubs that he is a part of to show that he is that amount of an overachiever. And it has these little like moments to show you how he's a part of each of the clubs. And my favorite is he's like like founder of the Yellow Belt Taekwondo Club. It's just like, he's not even like the founder of the Taekwondo Club. He's like the Yellow Belt Taekwondo Club. Like it's so perfect. And Wes Anderson is so good at doing these type of montages. But it's just that that hitting the beats, that each one of those beats yep. is a joke. So, and that's what makes this sort of like, um, you know, it's, it's the joke delivery montage, as it's, as far as Cineflix says.
0: Well, you mentioned the Rushmore one. I did quick uh, YouTube uh, search for it too. And I, I remember the one, is that the one also in the movie where they kind of have the tit for tat kind of going against each other like they do one thing for one and then the other one does something to him and then the other one and it just kind of goes back and forth the seesaw approach to it but again each one's kind that of that is the other one too and yeah and yeah yeah, yeah. And like keep trying to one up each other uh, that was another one so I remember when you so I got a good,er uh, I got a better feel for for once you kind of mentioned Rushmore, Rushmore and I looked it up and I yeah. that was really funny I remember that sequence going on
1: oh so good okay so I'm going to be 100% honest Uh narrative sprint and joke delivery are literally the only two montages i have ever written into any script that i've ever done yes now we're gonna go a little bit deeper so you have the training montage and the training montage is the classic of all the montages,
0: well, it's funny when you think, say montage. That's I think for me, what I first think of is the training montage. And yeah. what always makes me want to not do a montage is to stay away from this because it's so. <laughs> I know, I cliche. know, because you're just like, no, can't do this. Well, and that's that's the best part. the The South Park guys use it almost in every story they do. They do it in Team America. They've done it in South Park. I remember the South yep. Park one. It was when Stan had to fight the do something with the guy. They're at the ski lodge, and yep, yep. the they did the. 80s uh, kind of like high school movie, like rich guy versus the poor kid, and like he no, didn't really actually different. want to do it, but no, they did. A, they mashed it up, but then they, but well, he has to train yeah. then for the final event, and learning how to ski, and they're like, We're oh, it in a training montage. This is where the training montage happens." And it's One like,
1: of my favorite <laughs> jokes ever was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Anthony and Michael had, and I forget, or Anthony had and. um Sarah Michelle Geller and I forget what they were doing, but essentially they were training for something, and she was like, jeez, I wish we could just montage through this. That's not how life works. And I was just like, ah! Oh, so good! <laughs> so good!
0: Alright, so what's the next one after training? I think we all know what those are. Obviously, Rocky yeah, is the okay. uh, prototype of that, but outside okay, of that... Yeah, you know.
1: and that's the thing that I want to talk about, actually, for a second. The Rocky training montages are literally the epicenter of all of those training montages
0: uh-huh.
1: i literally am rocky one rocky three rocky four those are the best montages training wise of all time
0: oh you even listed them out wow oh you have nothing i have no opinion on the rocky montages they're they're training montages um i know oh, they were okay i knew okay. you had them right so enough. But we'll, we'll place all those in the show notes because this was, <laughs> uh, in one of the other articles that Tony also, uh, did in his research and sent along. I know they also ranked them. And, uh, I think in the video they might've ranked them and they, they talked about it. Oh, I think they ranked Rocky okay. fours montage as the best one. I think he was know, training with horses. That That's that the one with terrible. Tony trading for Drago and. Uh, I just remember the first one, the most, it's to me is the most classic where he's, he's jogging all over the place. He's running through the Italian market. Somebody throws him an orange Dude, my favorite while he's thing running. Is and the there best part a- of that backstory to that is that they actually didn't like that they were filming in the Italian market and somebody threw it at him on purpose to hit him, but he heard it and caught it. And it looked all natural. Like they're like, yeah, go Rocky. And they're actually in real life, like go f- f- yourself. <laughs>
1: my favorite thing is there is every year um a uh the rocky marathon where you actually run the route that rocky runs during that montage and it's a fucking marathon because you have to start in like north philly and you end up all the way down in South Philly and you're over in Camden like running because that's Camden is the only place that you see the skyline of Philadelphia. Yes. It's like a 27 mile marathon or something. Oh, wow. It's great. OK. Life goal. So uh, the next one by uh, Cineflix. Uh, the next category of montage is combining multiple storylines. So that's when you're able to like start compressing things into one storyline throughout a montage. So I'm trying to think of what would be a great example of that. So Uh,
0: would the Requiem for a Dream ending sequence fall into this, or would that be in the next? No, that would be in
1: a couple other ones. This would be more like, I think it would be very much like when you're talking about uh, uh, the usual suspects, and you talk about all the different criminals that made their way into the, mm. you know, final crime of, like, you know, when Kevin Spacey says, but it was, like, Keaton that added the final touch. And then he was, like, burning the cop cars and whatever. Like, when you're... Compressing all of their stories when you're when you're talking about who Fenster is when you're talking about who you know the uh, shit not Sydney Pollack um God what's his name Gabriel Byrne no Gabriel Byrne um
0: Kevin Pollack
1: Kevin Pollack when you're talking about who Kevin Pollack is and like like you're condensing everybody into a certain thing to be like. And they brought us all together in this thing. Oh, and this is
0: also maybe like one of the Oceans movies, like Oceans 11, Oceans 12, when they have like the big cast that they're all kind of, something's going on and they're all, then they bring them all together right. at the end. Like I I, I think right. Oceans 12 when, in the very beginning, when Benedict's going around, kind of um, pulling everybody, catching them, and then they all have to come back because he's caught them and exactly. but it's, you know, keep cutting to all those different ones. All right, there you go. See? so
1: there we go so the next one that uh, Cineflix is saying which is generally observed to be a great 10 montages is compare and contrast so that's the you know rich person poor person the person who's like like um I mean a good like the one that comes to my mind is like the Rocky training montage in number 4 where it's like Rocky is training in the snow with like you know logs on his shoulders and boulders and stuff and Drago is like training in this high-tech facility like it is completely being able to be like this is completely different than something else you know
0: Yeah that that one that one's probably one of the easiest ones to understand because it's a, and that's a pretty common one also that gets used uh, especially in maybe like comedies uh yeah. stuff like that where you you're you're placing like the protagonist and you're showing that his his life really kind of sucks but then that's part of what then the inciting incident is going to change that in a sense because he's always just in this rut but then there's going to be something that pushes him out of it and now he's going to get into this big great adventure but he might come in conflict then with the rich person who's then same thing their inciting incident brings them down into the muck a bit so right it's always a common trope not a trope just a common common storyline a way to jump start a a a movie
1: yeah a hundred percent i i mean that's like knocked up like the beginning of knocked up when you're looking at Catherine heigl you're looking at seth rogan and they're coming together that's that You know, compare and contrast. So then the next one they say is gestalt. And gestalt is that the whole is more than some of its parts. This is very much like a super fancy way to say all of the montages that happen around rom-coms. So, when you do like the rom coms and everybody falling in love, um, the big one in this gestalt is the Annie Hall like montage on how they fall in love. But this is always to me the laziest way to actually have people fall in love. My f-
0: is this like the idea of where like they're they. Finally, kind of had their meat cued, and then they decide, yes. all right, let's go out. But then they really fast forward. They're like, oh, you see them here, at, they're out shopping at the yep. farmer's market, but then they're at the bookstore. Yep. And then, oh, they're at somebody's birthday party yep. together. And then, and then they do something more serious, like they're at the dinner together. And then, exactly, then maybe they're at a waterfall and he proposes to her. And then all of a sudden, then they're married. And then that's when the story starts, or the next part of the story starts, like the next act or something like that.
1: 100%. That is exactly right. Right. That's what this whole gestalt is. My favorite version of the gestalt, which is actually like a, a funny version of it, is the uh, Naked Gun series when uh, they have the Hermit Hermits. Uh, uh, something tells me I'm into something good. And it's uh, Leslie Nielsen and presley her first name is priscilla priscilla presley and leslie nielsen are getting together and they go through their relationship and it's just this like gestalt this like little moments which like (laughs) yeah gets to the (laughs) point where they're both in full body condoms like having you know quote-unquote sex but you know
0: well, It's funny. I, I just watched uh, Dumb and Dumber, and that oh, reminds me of yeah. the sequence where yep, 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 yep. Uh, Harry goes on the date with uh, yep. the Lauren Holly character, and they're they the out face skiing with the snowball, <laughs> snowball. Yeah, that was so good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so good. But that's oh, all okay. part of this gestalt. This like, the, you're you're building up to something bigger based on these like smaller moments.
0: Yeah, they don't have any common thread outside of that these two are together. Yeah, you're just trying to... It's a little bit of the passage of time, that we, the narrative sprint. There's a little bit part of it.
1: And, and that's the thing. It's like all of montages are condensing time. Yes. But the thing that I didn't realize and the thing that, you know, like I was saying at the beginning, that makes me better for having just doing this podcast is I don't realize how you can condensed time in a different way until i do all this research and that's the thing that really gets me so like the next one is the boiling up so it's the exact opposite of the gestalt so instead of like building down into small moments you're actually going into like bigger moments the one that they keep referencing as the best of all of this is the Amelie montage where all of Paris has an orgasm? I definitely have to say I haven't watched Amelie in like ten or twelve years. Like
0: I, I, I. Uh, I'm in the same boat, and it's funny. It's honestly one I remember being one of my favorite movies, and when I first went into watching it, I was like why do I got to watch this French film with subtitles? And I remember coming out and going, wow, that was one of the most amazing movies I've ever seen. And I haven't seen it for like 15 years. <laughs> oh. But it's one of those ones that I like remember loving. So now I'm just like, it's always on my back of my mind of like, oh, I should watch that. But then I never like just settle down to do it. Okay. You cannot tell anybody this. I didn't like it.
1: And I don't remember liking it at all. So Well, listen, I I can't I can't argue against you about like no one who listens to this podcast can repeat this to anybody. Please, please, please. But
0: like well, I, 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 I is, is this a thing? Or are you supposed to like love Amelie? Is it like Yeah? It sacrilege? is.
1: It is. You have to like love it as like an independent film. You have to love Amelie. Oh.
0: Oh, see, I again I guess maybe I went in not expecting to like it and ended up loving it, but I haven't watched it. I, I don't have that. <sighs> So I, 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 I haven't seen it uh, recently, so I can't really give you a whole load of shit for not liking uh, this this amazing independent film. <laughs> I can't
1: I can't give you shit for loving the best thing that's ever been filmed in cinema. Go ahead. <laughs> Excuse me. So that's the boiling up the idea that you're gonna like have this like grander moment inside of uh, that um, encapsulates a smaller moment. Number eight of the Cineflex 10 montages uh, is poetic details. Now, this is when you're showing little things to give a sense of a feeling of a place. This is very much like trying to take the minutia and bring it to the bigger sense of the world. It's the... Um, in Taxi Driver, you know, uh, driving all over New York and his monologue about talking about like a real rain is going to wash everything away and you're focusing on the prostitutes, you're focusing on the gutters, you're focusing on the things passing by. It's this, you know like poetry in cinema like the terence malick way of just shooting a film right you know what i mean like just <laughs> to, to to put it in a very general sense just
0: big sweet just images kind of that are matching sort of of what the person is kind of half narrating but they're they're narrating but they're in the the picture as well like they're not actually just some yeah. omniscient character it's almost like a commercial uh sometimes like you think of like a commercial how it's very much a commercial that's a great way of putting it like the way apple does a commercial of being like
1: this is what it feels like to have an iphone even like mm. uh, and, and it's just like a pop music and like with images that, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 no that's a great yeah. way to put it
0: but I, I know the, the scene in Taxi Driver you're talking about, and that really helps paint that, too, of kind of this you know, yeah, philosophical way of expressing an idea that no action's actually happening in the, in the film at that point, but you're still then showing contextual images somehow, some way that match what uh, is kind of being spoken about.
1: Okay, so then the next one is called The Mental Construct. This is number nine of the 10 of the Cineflex montages. The mental construct. Now the mental construct is your and, and this happens a lot in drug movies. So you want to think very much yeah. like train spotting. You wanna think Requiem for the Dream. A Requiem for a Dream where they're doing like the beats, the ba ba-ba-ba da ba ba-ba-ba-da ba ba-ba and and like having all the drugs that they're taking. So that's the mental construct and um
0: i i understand this one pretty clearly i think the drugs are like i think requiem for a dream so they'll have when they're doing the coke they have like quick close-up shots of like the uh the blade cutting up the the lines and then he could quick cut to like the thing snorting the the straw snorting up the Coke. And then you have the quick of them coming back, like the overhead shot of them having that release of the endorphins in their brain. And then, and then I, I think I remember with the mother, it's like the, the chewing up or cracking up the pills and taking the pills and then the teeth are chattering. And then, you know, she has all the these TV quick little movements, it on, yeah, clicking it and yeah, like. Yeah. But it's all these quick little bursts of small little things within that person's view that try to yeah give you this sense. I honestly can't. I, I'll tell you, those kind of moments in movies and overall then the movies, I, I can't. I can't stand like they drive me nuts. That that kind of framing of mind is not something that I find pleasurable and enjoyable. Yeah. in Movies and I I'm half assuming that's their point, but uh, yeah, I I. I I know this technique and I'm not a fan of it. As far yeah. as the experience I get from it, I, I you know, I, I it's very, oh, actually sure. very palpable. And that's probably why I don't like it that much.
1: I, I honestly, I've watched a uh, Requiem for a Dream once and cannot bring myself to watch it a second time. I just, just can't
0: like. I had actually had it on my, Some popped up about it like two or three weeks ago and I actually watched the final sequence again on YouTube and it, yeah it's anyway so what's the next up?
1: So the last one in Cineflix like 10 montage like categories which has been widely accepted as like the 10 montage categories is intellectual montage which is trying to put heady themes together in the form of a montage now it is the one we were talking about earlier when you're talking about the um, the striking workers and butchering the cows, like that is that type of intellectual montage. But also, you know, one of the ones that I feel fits into this category is the Godfather montage, where you have Sonny literally becoming a godfather like to a child and having to go through all the roads of being like, do you reject Satan? do you like reject all of his works and all of this stuff right And then on the back half of that montage, you're also like you know shooting Sonny Green, you're shooting all these other people you're like consolidating your power and I think that's that sort of intellectual, Montage of being able to say you're becoming a godfather in the real sense of a ceremony, you're also becoming a godfather in a real sense of the violence that you're doing, and that right, you know, pulls it together. So, those are the 10 different montages. Let me run them through real quick. We got uh, narrative spirit. Joke delivery, training montage, combining multiple storylines, compare and contrast, gestalt, boiling up, poetic details, mental construct, and intellectual montage. And there it is. There's a 10.
0: There they are. So uh, that was a good exercise to run through them. And I think it's just a good framing to understand montages and that there are multiple ways to 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 create a montage and, and specific use cases as well. And you've been kind of mentioning throughout when you're running through them is just how much you're learning when you look into these kind of tools. And it is interesting. And I agree 100% too. Like I, I start sometimes doing more homework and then I start to understand some of the concepts we talk about more Uh, in detail just to get better understanding of that there's multiple layers within these tools and different ways to use them I always find that very useful and this was a perfect example of that some of these are are more common and seem kind of almost cliche to us like the training one is obvious like we talked about and and even the narrative sprints, that's just so common. That's really what you think about overall with a montage is you're just condensing down right. a ser- set series at a time. And the narrative sprints is the one that kind of collects that everything else that doesn't really necessarily fall underneath those other ones.
1: Yeah, you just need to hit your beats. you got to hit the beats of the story to just be like, you need to know this, you need to know this, you need to know this. But like, we do not have to spend a lot of time on it. Just know that this happened.
0: Because in other ones, like joke delivery is a great one to know because not that you didn't know it, but to actually think about it and understand how it's used is a great way to do it. And that one is a different actual perception of it where, you, like you're saying, uh, you're doing different punchlines like quick uh, pitter patter or other other ways to do it, but that's a good one. Now, the narrative sprint, like you were just saying, it's about hitting the beats and condensing that time, going from point A to kind of point C and that point B has to kind of get tied up pretty quickly. So you don't actually have to drive through point B to do it, uh, to get to C and that is so far the only thing I've ever read a montage. And honestly, I- I'm trying to think about this. The current story I'm working on is might be one of my first and only montages. I might've had maybe just a, a handful maybe one or two others I've maybe done before, but uh, that's This is what I'm doing. I'm going from, okay, I have my set narrative up to this point, and I've had the conflict. Now I have to go further in time to kind of pick up with the next level of high conflict that I actually want to jump into. But then there's a whole bunch of in-between where a bunch of stuff happens, but it's not narratively high stakes enough in, in the individual sense. But together, it helps get you to that higher level, uh, at the other narrative part that I want to jump into. So it's a necessary evil. I almost feel like at this point, because I have to put that in there. Um, I guess, I guess here, part of it is I, there there's the idea that maybe you don't, you just go from you're here and then you just jump forward in time and just say, this is time later. And one of the ways you can do it then is just show kind of uh details that are different say be like okay so they used to be in a ragtag office now they're in some nice glitzy office or they you know now they they start talking about different issues or they mention somebody else's job title or or their responsibilities now that was different maybe than prior so you could do that but some of it for me is i need a montage to still hit home certain beats or certain character growth uh, that I do believe are still important, but I can't I, I don't want to uh, spend a lot of time on them. Right. Can I ask you something? Yeah.
1: When you write something, do you write with like a I need to hit here and I need to hit here? Like, do you write those scenes? Those big like tentpole scenes to be like okay, this is where everybody comes together and we're going to do a thing. And then this is everybody breaking apart or this is everybody coming together. Do you write those out of order or
0: do you write them in order? No, I write in order. I go pretty linear as far as my story goes. Um, I I have everything kind of mapped out again from just my kind of beats outline. And I have all of like the major beats written out. And then that's what I'm going through doing my long outline and filling in with the context then of actually what's happening in this scene and breaking them down into like, they're here, then they're there, then they're there. So this is literally like my slug lines are, are filling in. And then within that, I write the context of kind of what's happening in the scene. And then I'm going to go through and actually start writing in more actual prose and less of just kind of h- highlights and uh, scratch of like what's happening in a scene. So I do it all linearly. And that's part of where I was struggling though, is because I'm moving through my story, conflicts happening, my hit, and my beats. And then I'm getting to this point where it's like, all right, this is a I have to do a certain span of time has to be shown. I want to show certain beats within the time, but I don't want to do it's too long of a time that i I can't stay within this this certain time frame of showing this growth of this team and this this business they're building., right, uh, but I have to show just certain quick scenes that kind of show the growth happening. But real quickly, like jump in, show a scene here, and something's happening. Then you move on to the other person; they're doing something that something's happening. And then the third person, and then maybe it goes back to the first person, just to show growth with with them within this wider time frame that I'm trying to compress down. So that's where I found I was really I I got really bogged down in it because I it, there is a particular structured to how I was also doing it. And I was trying to think stylistically, like how do I want to show this? I don't do I just want to say A, B, and C happened within this time frame and just do quick things. Or I ended up doing a little bit more stylistic way of trying to represent it so that it's interesting as well. And it's not just kind of glossing through kind of like how flashbacks sometimes do. I, I kind yeah. of wanted to give it its own pizzazz and flair to it that makes it a little bit unique when we're showing it because I didn't want it to be just like a training montage where, you know, you just have them going through, all right, they're, they're doing this one thing and they're getting stronger here. And then they're getting stronger on this little thing. Cause they're hitting a punch bag and then they're running yeah. and then they're doing jump yeah, rope. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to do the equivalent of that. I wanted to do some sort of stylistic thing that actually moved the story along, compressed some amount of time, but also showed certain beats of the growth. Uh, so that's part of it.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense.
0: Once I got through it, then all of a sudden I was back to free sailing of like, all right, now I'm moving. Like I can just start making choices and just doing this and doing that where I was a little bit more It's a slog. So do you feel that? Do you, you're, you said you don't do montages much either. What has been your experience with montages? Uh,
1: my experience has been mostly like narrative sprint and joke. Like that's the whole like extent of my montages. And I really uh, do, having done all of this research to do this podcast, I'm like- Man, I have not been using montages to the full effect that I could, and and that's the thing. Cause one of the things that I really want to do is the combining and compressing storylines. I think that would be a great montage to start doing. Another montage I think would be great to be doing would be compare and contrast, even like the intellectual montage. Like I, there's so much that I'm just like I'm not. Doing in that, you know, whole world.
0: Yeah, and that's what it was interesting. That compare and contrast one, or no, um, oh, combining multiple storylines, and that's sort yeah, of how I did through this multiple. one section. So th- it's actually a big section. It's really weird. And like I said, I kind of went for a style. So I did this this uh pitter powder where I went, I had this sequence where everybody's going down in the dumps, and so I have to show this, and I did. This weird uh sequence where I went, I did a montage and then I do a scene let where what I mean by that is it's kind of an expanded scene, and then I go back to a montage, and then I do a scene let, then a montage, and I go back and forth and because i it's okay. this trying to express these ideas of short bursts that compress time and then open it up a little bit, go back to compressed time, open it up a little bit but even opening up isn't like full scenes they're they're real there's they're quicker but anyway so uh yeah so you don't have any real tips then because obviously you're uh it's same thing you've you've struggled with these i i, I find them no, a little I bit really i really
1: do i'm just like i i there's like two of these 10 that i use on a regular basis
0: okay see that's even more than i have I, I haven't really dabbled into montages before and so i was again trying to think around and being creative about it but it really slowed me down a lot but it
1: feels it feels like you're doing a couple of these like at least i mean obviously we're all doing the like compressing time but like yeah you're also doing the emotional work,
0: and, and it is almost a combination. And you are right because it is trying, and that's what I'm trying not to just do something straight down the line. I was trying to do something a little bit more interesting and clever. Whether it turns out to be that way, we'll we'll see. But and uh, but I didn't want to just do the straight picking like one of those buckets and just doing it. Like I wanted to have a little bit of different edge to it that you know, express what I want to express but also compress the time at the same time so it's a hard thing to do to really get across
1: 100% it's not great
0: I feel like it's a necessary evil and I mentioned this earlier mm-hmm. because it's not quite to the detriment like a, um, a flashback is like I'm really not a fan of flashbacks and I do believe we talked about this prior in a previous episode
1: uh, yeah and I'm right on the fence like
0: yeah But and montages though, because they can kind of take you out a little bit because all of a sudden you're doing this time warp, which isn't natural, but I do think they are necessary because sometimes you do have to jump from time A to further down the line, and you don't need you can't use all that time to do the in between parts, so they are a necessary evil. Where I think flashbacks you can avoid them in most circumstances, so. All right. Well, I think if anything, Tony, it was a big help to have them broken down into those buckets and kind of have a quick discussion about that and and kind of give some examples to understand.
1: Yes. Thank you, Cineflix.
0: Thank you, Cineflix. Well done. Well done. And uh, I appreciate you doing that homework and finding those uh, couple examples. So just to cap this all off, Tony, did you have any specific montages that you either are your favorites or, or just memorable to you you know it don't have to be in an order or actually be a favorite just something that was memorable you know you can list a few that are, that you really enjoyed
1: oh I mean uh, like the montages that I love so much is um of the ones that we haven't mentioned the opening of up yeah
0: I had that on there
1: when it goes through their whole like relationship that
0: That's that quickly fucking... came to mind when I s- like heartbreaking. When I started jumping into these and you go, once you get one in, then you can kind of start going to a rabbit hole up all of a sudden popped in. And I was like, and yeah, you're a hundred percent right. That is such a classic. And everybody, everybody remembers that one. Yeah,
1: I also love, you know, the, the footloose montage. Uh, let's hear it for the boys when, uh, Kevin Bacon is teaching Chris, What's his last name?
0: You're not gonna get it from me.
1: But he's he's teaching the, you know, farm guy how to dance. Yeah. like that is amazing. And then the other one is the uh, Groundhog Day suicide montage when he oh, like. I
0: didn't think about that one. That is so good.
1: Oh, so good, and it like, you know, you had the. Uh, the, the groundhog like screaming as they like drive off the canyon it's so good it's so so good and
0: oh i forgot about that one that is a brilliant one
1: the last one that i love so much is in ghostbusters
0: when they're just starting to
1: like get themselves together and everything like that and it ends with uh, the ghost blowjob.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. When they first started actually getting the jobs, and right after that initial Slimer one, and then they, oh, yeah, then they became they're on Time Magazine. Larry King was talking about them. That's right. That's right. That is a good one. Um, so the ones I like, want to
1: say it's saving the day is the song, but. I don't remember 100%.
0: Yeah, typically uh, songs are a very crucial part of montages, which we should mention. And I and some of the ones I came across had it. One of the ones I remember very well was in Blow, uh, the Blinded by the Light montage, where they're showing uh, oh, that's how so good. the Blinded by the Light explaining how um, yeah, yeah. the explosion of Coke in America, like through the 70s and 80s, and they they did pretty much with like still photography montage, and it was just photos of them. All around the world or all around America in certain different, you know, sectors of business, be it finance or Hollywood or, you know, just out in the regular in the disco, those kind of things. And it was it's a pretty cool thing. It's just a bunch of still photos that are all have that old old look to them. Yeah. And just got that punchy song, obviously another one uh speaking of ground all day uh the edge of tomorrow when they keep going through him being killed over and over again
1: like when like he's learning how to die essentially
0: yeah to get further along each time it's it's kind of wild and it's such a crucial part of the show of the movie that is a really good one um speaking of good song ones uh goodfellas has a couple uh the one with the the layla song where they're doing the killings montage when everything's yeah, that's a good one. Um, and you mentioned this before in another episode, uh, the opening sequence of Watchmen with uh, Bob Dylan's uh, Like a Rolling oh, yeah. Stone.
1: No, that was good to kind of like uh, set the stage for how they like worked in the world.
0: And if we're talking about styles, and I, I didn't see this one come necessarily in those buckets, which I'm sure we could find one, but I felt... Those are kind of my favorite montages where you kind of get a compression, kind of like a quick recap of like where you're at in the story. So they usually at the beginning of a movie, it kind of says it gives you all this information in a short time frame in a fun, easy way. And then you kind of like, okay, I got my base grounding of like where we are in the world. And then we jump into the actual story of like whatever the inciting incident is. So I enjoy those a lot. Magnolia's opening sequence was oh, some Magnolia similar to this, is, too. Is really
1: good. You're right. With you're the, right. You're right. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know,
0: all the coincidence. Is this coincidence or not? And then it also moves right into the character introduction. So, oh, like, it's this, so like, double good. whammy. And it's uh, like so.
1: a, a green meadow hill, right? Is mm-hmm, that was the. A- mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, so right was, those those oh, are all so the good. ones that I uh, kind of came yeah. across no, when I those was are thinking good. about those this. Are so good. so uh, we'll try to put links to all these montages if they're around on YouTube in the show notes. So uh, Tony, I think that was a great discussion yeah, again. Man. Thanks for all that research. I think that was a great way to kind of frame it uh, through those buckets. Uh, it's, it's a great way to learn and hone these tools that there are out there and always and we will continue to kind of to have these discussions and keep get into each one of these kind of topics. So I, was, I really yeah. enjoy these conversations. Was, yeah. All right, um, did you have a spotlight this week? Um actually it
1: was relates all the way back to the first one uh, that we talked about. Uh, there is a dialectsarchive.com. Okay. I will pass this to you so that we can put it in the show notes, but is actually sure. repository of different dialects throughout the United States and they have a um, they have a certain story that you read but then they also have somebody talk but it's amazing just to learn different dialects and as somebody who is super bad at doing impressions this has been amazing to me to like be able to like have fun and like do this. So
0: oh, that's found, that's great. I, I love the tie-in to uh, the earlier conversation yeah. of <laughs> the, the Delco mayor speak, of the mayor of Easton. So all right, awesome. Yeah, put that in there, and we'll we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, my spotlight of the week uh, is something a little different. It's uh, this website called Present and Correct. Now, this is a London-based website. Um, it is a uh, one of my one of my I don't know what to call it, not a vice, but just something that is I just get giddy about is stationery. I don't know <laughs> why. I just love stationery and this website is present present and connect it has the most beautiful different types of stationery and kind of desk accessories that you could find and it's presented in this beautifully designed website and has the most amazing all kinds of notebooks and pens and little Uh, like I said, desk knickknacks that I I just find absolutely delightful. And I I then ended up going down a rabbit hole of finding other websites that are like this. And I found this other, uh, London based company called before breakfast that makes this very bespoke notebooks and, uh, pen set. And it's just amazing.
1: I know you're so into Europe.
0: Their hand they're they I, I believe it. Notebooks. I love their everything about what notebooks. you're saying. I love they're it amazing. All. And and so I found because they, they must have did like a, a like a one-off partnership with this uh present and connect uh correct on some product. Uh and then I was like, because they're like made by before breakfast. So then I go down a rabbit hole, look them up, I find their website, I'm just like this is amazing. They make only like 10 things. Like they, they don't even make that much stuff. This before breakfast. Uh, so it's, I, I just kind of nerd out on stationary <laughs> stuff. It's, it's a, it's a weird kind of hobby of mine. So it, there's, there's it, something a little new that you learned about me today. And yeah, you throw me on a good stationary website, man, I'll, I'll geek out on it for hours <laughs> and just be like, I want that. I want that. I want that. I'm like, Oh my God. But there's too much of it to actually use. And then I'll have this like paranoia of like, Oh my God, I got all these cool notebooks and I'm not even using them. Um, it's a whole thing it's it's a vicious cycle so luckily i have good restraint though and i don't actually end up buying it it's a bunch of window shopping but man it's a beautiful website too absolutely gorgeous so that's my spotlight of the week
1: love it love it is that right, it tony,
0: uh that is it for tonight so uh tony uh great episode thank hey. you as always yeah man all right until next time tony talk to you Later. soon peace out bye